There are some really iconic photos that you guys have all seen. You know, you're flipping through uh, Instagram or Flickr or whatever, and there are some iconic photos like um, the Iceland airplane crash, you know, um, and, uh, you know, you know, pictures of the bean sculpture in Chicago. Um, You know, they're they're really iconic photos and and a lot of them are because it's a great photo. Well, I was flipping through Instagram uh, the other day, a couple of days ago, and I came across this photo uh, from Thomas Berg photo at Thomas Berg photo. And it's a picture of a valley with a uh, it's a big U shaped valley with a road going through it. And I looked at that and I said, I've taken that picture. And then I looked a little bit longer and I said, that is not the same picture. The picture that I'm thinking of is um, three, four years ago, my wife and I were in uh, the UK and we did a drive between Edinburgh and uh, Balmoral. And there's a place where there's this big, big valley, big U-shaped valley. There's a, you know, a single road going through the bottom of it. And there's a, a like a little wayside stop and you can get up on a hill and you can take this picture. And I thought, oh, this is just absolutely wonderful. You know, took four or five photos. One of them re- turned out really well. And I thought this is that same photo. But then I started looking and I go, no, this is somewhere else. And I figured it out that, you know, I, I looked at this guy's work a little bit more and. It's in Norway. It's not in Scotland. Um, so I was off by a little bit. But this got me to think about places I wanted to go. So, uh, Nick, this is what I'm going to be asking you. If you were to have the opportunity to travel anywhere in the world and you get like a tour guide, uh, you know, the most the, the friendliest, most unobtrusive tour guide, you have a fixer. You have transportation. You have anything that you want. Where in the world would you go to take pictures that you've never been so far? Mm. I've never been so far. Well, I think it would have to be uh, somewhere in Asia. Um, And I'm thinking the uh, the area uh, in, oh, now I'm, I'm not sure I've got the what what part right of Asia name for it, but there, I'm talking about there's a very uh, mountainous region of China which has extremely steep, oh, right. impossible looking mountains that uh-huh. uh, for years I just saw on scroll paintings and I thought that they were mm-hmm. some sort of cartoon and then recently saw photographs and those scroll paintings are exact reproductions of what the place really looks like and I'm thinking uh, it's it's and the other thing that's unique about it is that the mountains run, uh, instead of north-south, they run east-west. And because of the way uh, that interacts with weather and climate, uh, there's probably the, one of the, the highest species diversities of any mountainous region in the world. There, oh. there's, a, there's a botanist I know who goes there to find new species because every valley is really essentially isolated from every other valley. And that's one of the things I love about the Cascade Range in Washington State is that there's so much... Uh, variety both of like microclimate and of geology that uh-huh. essentially every valley system is completely different than mm-hmm. the next and so there's this just yeah. crazy variety anyway so 
I'm miss I'm forgetting the exact name of the region, but it's a big mountainous region in China as you where the mountains run east west and are very steep okay. and improbable looking like camel's humps. Okay. Sure. Okay, so Ethan, what are you thinking? Where where would you be taking that trip? Yeah, I love the North Cascades for the same reason. I love backpacking and all of that, but if I had one I, place I, to take a trip, yeah, it has to be someplace you haven't been. Okay, easy. Shenzhen in China. Um, I would go to the electronics markets and the <laughs> industrial supplier markets. No, seriously, this has no, uh, been yeah, on my list sure. for a while. I would go uh, meet some factory manufacturers and uh, sure. yeah, uh, I look at some things to be repurposed for camera parts and uh developing machines shenzhen hand down hands down if this is a photographic trip and i i'm sure you could get some really great photos in there because i i'd love to take a lot of pictures of like serial numbers and uh design specs (laughs) and how machines worked for sure yeah okay okay (laughs) so yeah 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 yeah. we can we can meet for lunch uh right there on the border between shenzhen and hong kong so yeah, we'll have uh, some excellent dim sum. Yeah. All the way. <laughs> Simon, what are you thinking? Where are you where's it you want to go? So actually it's quite it's quite an apt question because I <laughs> haven't really traveled that that much to be honest. Um oh. <clears throat> so um my girlfriend Sonia and I are going to South Africa in about a month. Um and it's some yeah, somewhere that I've I've wanted to go for a while. Um so yeah, I think you know that, that's going to be the, the the place that I'm, I'm I'm most looking forward to at the moment. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of like an interesting question because I guess when when I travel to somewhere new, it's like yeah, you're taking in the landscapes and stuff like that, but you know, everybody's kind of shot that stuff and it's been done. And I don't know. I think right. if a place existed that you could go and do something unique and you know first time and it's not going to be done again that's kind of the place that i would want to go but um i guess maybe you're into sort of talking about portraits then and you know shooting a shooting a portrait of somebody that's you know personal and you know unique and and all all the rest of it so i I don't know i think in terms of where i would want to go is is iceland um i think you know, I want to go there um, to just experience that sort of climate and landscape and, you know, just all of that sort of stuff. But um, I don't know how I'd feel about shooting, shooting landscapes and things there because it's kind of been done. Um, right. So, yeah. Teaming yeah. with photographers now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And everybody's like got the drone up and doing all the new technology stuff. And it's just right. like bored, you know, and, and let's edit it and. I'm just like, no, I'd rather just go and, you know, sort of experience it. But um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the, yeah would, that, was, that was part of I the deal. I would with think the, you would. Uh, oh, go sorry. ahead. Nick. I would think you would be heading for the very bottom of the sea. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, do, I'll definitely go there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been there yet. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's why I get such a kick out of like doing the sort of extreme sort of stuff because, you know, if you make it extreme, there's not a lot of people that are going to follow you, so <laughs> it's quite cool. Right, right, and that was one of the things that um, that the photo I was talking about in Scotland, I I you know I saw this just amazing to me. 
completely exotic landscape. Uh, yeah. I live in in Florida, and you know, I mean, that's completely opposite of what I what I see in Florida. And um, and I thought, oh man, I get to take this picture, you know. And then I saw, you know, over the next year or two, I saw, you know, twenty more um yeah. of the exact same deal it's you know it's kind of like you know that iceland airplane crash uh spot that everybody takes pictures of mm-hmm. um so you know it's yeah 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 yeah. Uh, i mean uh, i get that idea but if you take portraits then it doesn't matter what you know whether people have been there or not you know you're taking something different every time right yeah yeah absolutely and i think that's kind of what i'm i'm sort of getting a lot more into and i really need to pull my finger out and get some collodion and and get into that sort of oh, side yeah, of things yeah. you know because i got this really nice lens from the museum um still kind of on loan um uh-huh. and it's you know it's not like a, an amazing lens or anything but it's huge and you know so i don't know if you guys saw but you know i I sort of attempted to make a camera out you know just to just to see what this thing you know could could, could shoot like you know so yeah Yeah. portraits is something that i i kind of see myself getting into you know yeah uh dave what do you think where where would you go i i think it'd be antarctica um oh yeah while you guys are talking because so if we're talking photographic uh places i do a lot of darkroom composites mm-hmm. uh, and it's just composite photography in the darkroom and i think i could get some great negatives that are sort of raw material to play with in antarctica with the stark landscape and sure. do everything and if you play with um value you don't have to make things look like snow right because i shoot a lot in black and white i do some color too obviously but when you think about doing the ground and ice is more of a gray tone. It could be anywhere. It could be sand. You could just really make some interesting uh, photos. You know, shoot yeah. some shoot some large format negatives uh, there to have just, stuff to play with. Excuse me. You just overexposed two thirds of a stop, and you're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or well, use a gray um, card. <laughs> well, I, so I I get up on glass glaciers a lot and yeah and that's pretty much always right it, unless it's extremely sunny just two-thirds over and you're good well yeah, I mean, but, oh go ahead i was gonna say for me it's because i do composite stuff i might not actually want the snow to to look white right so i might actually want to expose to make the snow and everything gray because Maybe in the dark room it gives me else. more options right if 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 the ground and everything is sort of, uh, you know, zone six or seven, right, rather than in my highlights, then mm-hmm. then I have more options to make it look like any kind of terrain I want in the dark room in black and white. Then right? you can print through okay. it something else. Exactly. Yep. Um, so. Uh, so I wouldn't. I don't think I'd shoot how you traditionally shoot there. I wouldn't overexpose um, like you would, you know, when I shoot in snow and want it to look like snow. Yeah. Right. When I was at the University of Minnesota first doing, you know, a lot of darkroom work, um, I uh, one of the things that I would always do is we had this big print washer um, that, you know, ran in a circle. It was like a big, I don't know, four and a half foot drum or something like that. And um, I would always I would, you know, when I dumped a picture out there, um, I would always stop and look at what other people were doing. And 
there was uh, a fellow student, uh, uh, a woman who, who had these these pictures of snow, but they look completely different from Minnesota. Um, and it, it, they were from uh, Antarctica. And um, I, I asked her about it and she said it was the most difficult place to take photos ever because of the angle of the light. <laughs> Oh, and yeah. just and, you know, and in a minute, you know, uh, snow could blow up and, a, you know, and haze out the sun. Yeah. And it was very difficult. But that, you know, hey, that's part of the adventure. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I like that. And like I said, I sort of use negatives as a raw ingredient um, to make photos, especially recently. So so for me, that's that's interesting, because um, mm-hmm. if you have different light than anywhere else, you can make otherworldly stuff you can you know um so so for me it might be hard if you're trying to do like representational photography but i do less and less (laughs) representational photography so um Mm -hmm. yeah so the whole point is to have some sort of you know raw ingredient which is photos from there to use to make other kinds of images um and i think it'd be really interesting like you said the light is different you can have that haziness like um so yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's really cool. I, I just, I'm sorry, I just remembered the re- region of China that I want to visit is Sichuan. It's the Sichuan region. Okay. Um, and then I, I, I googled like it to food. check, and I got, yeah, I got several Chinese restaurants in Tucson when I when I tried to look it up. Ah <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So hey, what do you guys say we start the homemade camera podcast? Do it. Let's do it. That sounds great. All right. Okay, so I think it's really interesting that we started out this podcast today talking about, um, maybe by design through Graham's question, taking photos that are not always taken, right? I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, that what's interesting to me, and I think a lot of people, certainly our guests uh, and other hosts, is uh you know, showing something that you don't see every day, whether that's because it's taboo to be photographed or very far away in this case, or um, is hard to get to. Um, and I think our next guests really embody this. So today we have two very special guests, uh, David Allen and Simon Riddell, the Danger Boys, um, who have made a entire documentary about a very hard place to get to and a process that is very hard to do. Um, One Shot Inchendown is a documentary about the Danger Boys going into the tanks at Inchendown, uh, which were big oil tanks that we'll talk about um, from World War II. And they managed to take a four by five photo inside and print it inside, living inside a, yeah, the giant oil tank cave, and we'll we'll talk about that some more. Anyway, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who David and Simon are, but we're going to get into it. Hey, David and Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for yes. having us. Awesome. So let's start out, before we get to One Shot Instant Down, which I really want to talk about today, 
Um, how did you guys get into photography and meet each other and sort of before getting into the, the movie itself, um, how, did, how did the Danger Boys get started? Um, I mean, I, for me, I got into photography sort of not that long ago, actually. I was leaving Colorado. I was doing um, a PhD in mathematics out there. And when I left for France to move to France with my wife, uh, a buddy of mine, I had some background with video and photography, but it was never sort of a passion of mine. Uh, and I had more experience with video than photo. And he gave me his old AE-1 and a bunch of lenses and said, I think you'd enjoy shooting film, which I'd only shot digital, really, I, except for when I was like in high school and shot film because that's what you had. But like, um, so I took his AE-1, moved to France, and then it sort of replaced mathematics for me, the technical with the abstract, because my area of math is very abstract. And so for me, I got like pretty quickly into that and double exposures and doing things, you know, out of the norm and thinking about technical aspects of it. And I guess my first contact with Simon was through Twitter. I made a, a zine or fairly early on of some of my multiple exposure stuff and Simon had uh, purchased it and we started talking on Twitter. Uh, right, Si? I think that's. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think I'd gotten in touch to ask for a refund, wasn't it? Or, yeah, yeah. You were just like, "This is complete rubbish, <laughs> dude. Like, what did I pay yeah. for?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, no, so yeah, that's that's kind of how we went through uh, through Twitter, wasn't it? But um, I guess um, I guess to answer sort of your question about how I got into photography as well um, was was essentially through my dad. Um, he would shoot film. And um, I was, you know, kind of super interested in in the cameras and the gear. And uh, so, you know, we just used to head out and, you know, go on these sort of big walks up cliffs and mountains and stuff and, and shoot film and then come back and develop it. And that's kind of how I got into it. But, um, you know, so I kind of grew up with it. But um, the sort of, you know... I guess when digital came in, I kind of moved away from it a little bit, but uh, but not really, you know. Um, I still sort of had uh, had had his camera and um, yeah, um, still still shot film and um, you know you, you kind of um, you kind of just ah oh, um, I don't know what I'm saying now, guys. What, what what's mm-hmm. the Okay, you got into film through your dad and the outdoors, which is something that yeah. uh, you and I definitely share. I, I got into it with my dad as well. And um, because I thought of myself in it as an avid outdoorsman while living in the Bronx. Um, how did you at, at what point did you find Dave's zine and contacted him? Like also, you were one of the first. Uh, people to buy any camera dactyl and also reached out to me i think we've been friends ever since you're like one of my first friends in the analog photo internet community um how how'd you sort of get into that so yeah i guess that was you're just scariest um, bloke <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um no so i sort of essentially it, it it must be twitter um you know so obviously i met dave through twitter and saw his work and you know, sort of said, oh, that's cool, and blah, 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 and, you know, I guess I, I'm, you know, if I like something, and I think that 
um you know it's 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 got something going for it then i kind of want to know more and you know in these days you can contact somebody rather quickly can't you um so uh so yeah so so that was the whole day thing and then i think within a couple of months of sort of knowing each other on twitter he'd book tickets to come over to to scotland and go into to well go off some some cliffs and stuff yeah um yeah um and and likewise the same for 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 you ethan it's like i saw these this this kickstarter go up and you know these these mental cameras i thought hey um and i remember being on a i think i was on a holiday in spain you were on the beach in spain when we first talked on your phone (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so it was cool um yeah so i got myself a drink and i was like hey sonia look at these cameras they're awesome and she goes what are these things it says i don't know i'm gonna phone the guy and uh so so yeah that's how that's how me and you sort of met so yeah uh, twitter's twitter's good you know it's it's quite funny though because i don't really use twitter anymore (laughs) strange yeah yeah well so it's always outdoors yeah, Ethan's cameras are effectively uh, sort of a breeding plumage, I think. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They pulled all of us in. You know, I, I think about, um, so I haven't been single since internet dating. You know, like like by, by the time uh, internet dating was for normal people, um, yeah. I was, you know, Laura and I were involved and in, you know, like we've been together more than 10 years now. But I've I've sort of watched that go through, you know, having a lot of, young uh single friends and and the advent of like uh tinder and whatever whatever the other stuff was before that it was like my mom on j-date you know and just old weirdos um <laughs> but you know i i have a, a comedian that i follow her name's nikki glazer and i love the way she talks about internet dating on uh particularly instagram and like trying to be an instagram thirst trap and <laughs> I think of the way I market camera dactyl uh, on the internet exactly in the same terms that Nikki Glaser will talk about picking up dudes <laughs> on the internet, <laughs> except I just want them to think my cameras are hot. <laughs> juicy. They are yeah. Hot. Yeah. But like I've made a lot of friends that way. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty neat. So you guys uh, struck up an internet friendship and, then Dave went up to Scotland and to, I think as Simon put it to, to go jump off some cliffs. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is this? Um, yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, so, so we both have done, I, I, the outdoors is the common thread, I guess, because that's a big passion of mine. I lived in Colorado for a while, uh, did a lot of rock climbing, mostly trad climbing, like, big multi-pitch stuff and a lot of backpacking actually and everything and um and generally stupid stuff and so we we started talking over photography um and then simon just like sent me an image of him setting up like a rock wall in his in his house i was like oh you rock climb and so we started talking about that and that was sort of the whole like man, I need to actually visit then because you're you know photographer who also rock climbs you know so we both had that background and then Simon was like, do it. You're welcome whenever. And I was like, screw it. I'm buying a ticket. And I think we were both a little shocked because uh, I just sort of bought a ticket to go out. And then, yeah, so I come out and we had just only talked online and he promised <laughs> that we'd do some mental stuff with the ropes. And um, so I show up. We 
the night I show up, we finish this bottle of Armagnac, um, <laughs> um, which was inadvisable, and somehow hung over the next day, we went and just did crazy stuff in crazy weather. Um, <laughs> like the first full day we ever like hung out in real real life and there's these sh- two short videos uh on online where uh you can see us like doing stuff in ridiculous weather and then saving his drone using ropes and rock climbing gear you know on this on the north sea in scotland They're great videos yeah it's pretty yeah it's i really like ridiculous. it and when you explain to people that was the the one where it's raining really bad, that was the first day we hung out together. People were like, no way. <laughs> like, yeah, we just met and uh, put on our harnesses and just sort of did whatever. Um, so, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so it was sort of the promise of insane uh, rope stuffs, you know, um, <clears throat> that he, yeah. got, he got me with. You know, that was our, his Internet, like, enticing me. Um, dating, whatever ropes. you want to call it. Yeah. And courting me with ropes. It's like, <laughs> I got some juicy so, ropes. <laughs> so so I've been involved with the Mountaineers Club for a long time and did, did a lot of climbing with them yeah. and still do. And I noticed there's a there's an extremely large percentage of engineers in the Seattle area population. And I've noticed that there are certain activities where you combine technical pastimes with being outside and they attract the kind of people I think most of us, most of us who do kind of overdo photography, you know, yeah. go to, you know, don't just carry a sensible camera, but kind of do this ridiculous extra stuff <laughs> are people who have that addiction to technology and, and yet they want to be outdoors. And, yeah. and that's something that, that climbing has and sailing has and photography has. There's cert- certainly a list of things where you're not just enjoying the outdoors, but you're you're bollocksing it all up with a bunch of gear. I find it yeah. very attractive. Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> it's it's interesting. One of the guys I climbed with most often, Trad, which, you know, a lot of people would say Trad climbing, traditional climbing is one of the most technical, you know, of all sure. climbing. That's where you put the gear in the rock yourself, um, cams and such to protect falls. So you also tend to not do stuff too, too dangerous because he... <laughs> It's a lot more risky, but it's very technical. And um, one of the guys I climbed most often with Trad in Colorado was one of the professors in the, the, my department, which I, I was in the math department. And there seemed to be quite a few people in mathematics who also did um, mm-hmm. climbing and Trad climbing and technical climbing. And yeah, I think there is something about that. Those of us who like technical aspects of things, but also want it to be physical, tactile, like Film photography is perfect in that regard, too, because it's tactile, it's physical, you can, you know, it's not staring at more screens, but it's also very technical. And, yeah. 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 I, yep. I used to go up to uh, the front range quite a bit to visit my friend getting his PhD in electrical engineering, and he and his advisor were both mountaineers. <laughs> they were not into film photography, but uh, they were into making technical things and climbing mountains that was really really fun yeah hey so i'd like to back it up a little bit before we get into um how you guys settled on making a feature-length documentary all underground um let's let's back it up to tinkering right um david i know you do a whole lot of uh tinkering in the dark room and sort of um I don't want to say inventing new processes, but but certainly doing things out of the box. Simon, I know that you have built one of the world's ugliest, excellent, giant cameras <laughs> around this lens you've 
uh, borrowed from the museum. But um, do either of you have like history tinkering, building physical things? Is is that um, something that's been a part of your lives, or or is this uh, kind of a new thing for both of you? Um, I guess growing up, I was kind of always electrocuting myself um, with with all sorts of things. So <laughs> it's it's quite funny because. My mum says um, quite quite often, you know, I used to buy a toy just to break it and then see how it, you know, was put together and then sort of it would just look like a, a sellotaped kind of mess at the end. Um, but at least I know how how they sort of did things. So yeah, I was I was really heavily into taking all sorts of things apart and you know like radios and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, I guess I have been in, into tinkering um, quite a lot, and I think that kind of evolves into sort of being able to sort of problem solve um, and and build and you know get round problems and uh, you know uh, and sort of I, I guess it's kind of just that sort of process really. So uh, yes, is the answer. I've, I've I've been into tinkering. How about cameras? Have you built like uh, pinhole cameras or? I mean, I know you have this like giant garbage bag and wood. Uh, <laughs> I think monstrosity. there's literally garbage bag making that camera. So yeah, I, I built a few garbage bag cameras. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, I'm not against it. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, I I think with me, I just get excited to sort of try stuff, and I want to see the final, um, you know, uh, thing far too sort of quickly. But having said that, I mean. You know, it, it's a garbage bag supported by uh, walking poles, and you know I think it's pretty good. But I guess essentially, yeah, I, I'm too sort of eager to see the final product, so I just like do anything I know that's going to work, and um, uh, yeah, and then that's it. Um, so I think in terms of camera building, that that was definitely one, um, I, and I don't think I've built any others because that was kind of perfect. So that is quite to- a place. To- to start Simon. Yeah, yeah. So I've been thinking for a while about making a large format cameras that are a folding camera or yeah. in fact maybe or maybe a backpack that is a camera and then you, you take all your food and clothing out of it and then take a picture, you know. Um, yeah. Just ways to get a big camera into the mountains without carrying all that extra weight it sounds like the garbage bag and ski poles is something along those lines it's pretty good it can be dismantled pretty easily but you do need two tripods um (laughs) yeah well of course did did he consider a camerodactyl og (laughs) (laughs) what's that that would make that would make an excellent lunchbox Uh, yeah 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 uh, in fact, though, just to mention, like the OG, I I, I did take that into the tanks uh, in Inch and Down personally. I did this bloody really sketchy shot. Um, I probably shouldn't be saying it, but I don't care anyway. So I was sort of suspended off this massive big ladder um, uh, in in the pitch black with the with the <laughs> with the luminous green Kawasaki kind of green uh, <laughs> OG that, that Ethan built me, and. Um, so I just stuck the 90 mil lens on that and it was just the best camera that you could ever imagine for that shot, you know, because it's light and you could, you know, just climb this horrible oil filled ladder and just kind of hang off it and set things up. So, so yeah, that, that was amazing. The OG is awesome. <laughs> A camera for adventurers. Yeah, it is hey, totally. That's the hey one. Dave, 
you yeah. seem to be a little bit more methodical in your tinkering. I, in particularly, I've been thinking about your double exposures and and yeah. sort of crazy darkroom printing and um, your recent series that I love, which is like a darkroom print with a cell phone contact print on top yeah. of it. No, oh, um, I hate that. Yeah, <laughs> you hate it. <laughs> I'm really into them. Um, visually and conceptually, I think they're they're great. Yeah, it's but, awesome. Yeah. Um, your like your your background in in tinkering. Have you been a builder of things, or you know, yeah. most mathematicians that I know are um, more sort of like cerebral builders of ideas and less uh, building with their hands. What what types of things have you been into building? Um, yeah, so I'm, I was always a tinker. I thought I was bad at mathematics growing up, actually, because I didn't realize how abstract it was. So I was more art philosophy um, side of things. And then when I found out that actual like high level mathematics tends to be more like philosophy and abstract, I was like, yes, this is awesome. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't an applied mathematician. I was like weird stuff. Um, <clears throat> but growing up, I would also destroy things and figure out how they worked, like the family computer, and you know, to the <laughs> point where I like I'd ruin it. My parents are like, we can't have this ruined, and then I have to like figure out how to fix it. And um, and then so start, started building all my own computers, you know, as soon as I could, you know, so like down to that, like I make all my own computers, the desk I'm sitting at, I built, you know, my dark room, all the furniture I built. Well, Simon helped with some of it. He came out when I first moved to this place and helped me do my dark room. Um, but I've always been sort of uh, liking those kinds of tactile things. So like for Christmas, most of what I got the kids, I built out of wood, you know, um, yeah, so yeah, I we just saw we saw yeah. that oven. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, oh. that that was cool. Yeah, she really likes it. It's fun, you know, and it's like way less expensive because if you buy one, it's going to be like plastic or dude, way too expensive right? if it's wood. Dude, dude yeah. you, you built yeah. an oven out of wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's smart. Right? <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, our bodies are meat ovens made out of meat. You yeah. just need a mucus membrane in there. <laughs> That's true. I'm, I'm just confused, Our bodies yeah. are meat ovens made out of meat. It's yeah. So wood and a very good mucus membrane, and I built a, a toy oven. Um, okay. So so yeah. No, I'm definitely things. Pardon? Have you built any um, photographic things like pre this documentary? Um. Yeah. I mean, I've built pinhole cameras and cameras out of weird stuff. Um, that doesn't interest me as much because like a pinhole camera, like once you start realizing, oh, it's lens or size of hole and distance to film, it's like, you know, I've done things where I've literally taped, you know, uh, uh, like a sheet of large format film to the back of a cardboard box and exposed it with a pinhole, you know, like, um, but I tend to like more complicated things, um. But yeah, I've I've built like easels in the dark room, um, uh, and and mostly dark room gear, because it gets really expensive unless you make it. So if you want to yeah. print really big, like I made an <clears throat> easel for printing bigger than 50 by 60 centimeters that has all um, uh, steel plating on it, so you can use magnets and do like wall projection on it oh. and stuff like oh, that. Oh, nice. Yeah, because. If you're doing a wall projection, but you're doing the kind of stuff I do too, it gets really complicated because you're being precise with masks and such. 
Mm-hmm. And so having something that is magnetized is with those ultra strong, with those uh, rare earth magnets, you know, so you can have yeah, something give me small. A yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, so I've built st- uh, stuff like that. Um, so I have a really big, very heavy wooden easel that has steel on it for, uh, for wall projection and things like that. Um, yeah. So that kind of, that kind of stuff. Photographic okay. wise. Oh, and uh, splitters for my multiple exposures. I built splitters for different lenses and stuff. Ah, By cool. splitters, you mean like a, a two-sided mask type of deal? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something to block off half the lens or parts of the lens. Mm-hmm. And you just have to be precise because if it blocks off half the lens, if if it's too far over the center, then you're going to get this sort of band of black in your image. And if it's too, not close enough, you're going to get a band of white, right? So they have to be pretty precise. So so the idea is that you're taking a couple exposures in sequence on the same frame uh, mm-hmm. but with different parts of the lens. That's that's the idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's you're blocking off the center on one and then you're only exposing the center on the next exposure or half and half. Or, yeah, I do a lot so, of stuff with that. So do you use like a rotating uh, mask or something that slides? It depends on the on what I'm doing. So I have pre-made ones for like the Gokan systems, um, which are nice. But then I'll have like more exotic lenses where I have to make them or like super wide angles where I'll like either take a lens cap or a UV filter and make matching lenses or, you know, like mm-hmm. or just sort of make it out of whatever. <laughs> so like, <laughs> so like those ro- those rotating UV filters that you can... Yeah, those so are really... Yeah, it exactly. screws right onto the lens and then you just spin it, yeah. Exactly. And then you can... Like, and then I'll bust, or bust out the glass on that and then just use the spinning thing and, you know, put in mm-hmm. different stuff, yeah. Um, so, I've, like, every level of that where I've even just, like, made it something that fits over the lens that I made out of, you know, like, um, rubber and, you know, like, almost like a homemade lens cap, you know. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I want to make a shutter that you can just screw onto filter mounts, you know, to swap from one SLR lens to another. Okay, so before uh, Nick gets me involved in another project. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I want one of those, actually. Let's let's talk about uh, your main project that I really want to talk about today. How do you, so I did, like, a very poor job introducing One Shot Inch and Down, which is... A excellent film. I, I really loved it. Um, why don't you guys together give like a brief description of what the movie is and then um, kind of how you got into the idea of making it and a little bit about the process of making it. That seem reasonable? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll start, Dave, because um, I don't want to be talking too long. But it's just basically two guys in one tank, and that's that's kind of it. Two guys, one tank. Two guys, one tank. Um, no, so <clears throat> just just about uh, I guess 15 miles from where I, I live at the moment, there's um, there's this underground sort of oil storage reservoir sort of uh, facility, and I'd been wanting to get in there for for a while. Um, it's kind of it, it's becoming more well known now through obviously internet and you know the film and other bits and bobs and people come from. I guess all over the world to do sort of mainly sound recording down there 
because it, the tanks are so long. Um, so the, it currently tank one holds the, the, the world record for the longest echo in a man-made structure. Um, so I'd heard about these things and um, we eventually found the, the sort of the key holders um, uh, sort of contact details the first time Dave came over and luck would have it that we were able to sort of get in there um, and that's kind of all we did we got in there and we just had time enough to take one shot and and then Dave went home and um, I sort of started to, to think about going in there again and what we could do with things um, so so then I got the the flu and a really bad chest infection um, I guess around about sort of December and um, throughout sort of you know loads of drugs <laughs> and stuff I was thinking about you know what we could do in there and I had this idea um, because Intrepid had just come out with um, their, their Enlarger uh, well you know in concepts and everything and I thought oh, hey, what were you you know what, what could we do down there um, so initially I, I had thought kind of you know not very big picture I just thought about going in to, to actually just shoot a paper negative because uh, I was obsessed with the paper negative sort of let me, format <laughs> let me cut you off right there he was super obsessed with paper negatives and he's like we gotta do paper negatives in this place with no light and I'm like oh man that's dumb and then <laughs> and then he goes and then they have this enlarger and we can use their enlarger to make a contact print and I'm like why do you need an enlarger to make a contact print <laughs> But Let me cut you off. In in the next uh, little bit of the podcast, I'm going to try and convince you guys to shoot giant paper negatives in the dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, uh, which I'd be down for that. If he was like, you know, like a, a 50-inch contact print, I would have been like, all right. 50-inch uh, <laughs> yeah. paper. But oh. no, he was like talking like 8 by 10 and he's like, <laughs> and then I'm like, dude, why do we need an enlarger if you just want to make an 8 by 10 contact print? It was the and, drugs, man. Yeah, it was drugs. The drugs. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah, but Simon. but here's but here's the thing. You ha, you ha, you're a mathematician and you have the sensible idea. But if you had only followed Simon's lead, then you could have just set the thing up and gone to the pub for a couple of days. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. Except there's so no that, light, so you get to walk with a light source. To... Yeah. So and then I I guess we kind of um you know I took some 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 comments from Dave, shall we say. And, um, and you know, the, the sort of project evolved into being a bit more intelligent and uh, stuff that would kind of make sense. Having said that, I have shot a paper negative down there, 8 yep. by 10, and it, it bloody works. So, uh-huh, you Not know the I'm... entire thing, though. It did. Yeah, it did. It worked. Everything's no, perfect. No, no. You, you perfect. Know, you've <laughs> the it's exactly tank. what I wanted to shoot. A person where it's mostly black everywhere yeah, around them? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so now I'm imagining this bickering in the place with the longest echo in the world. That's exactly. <laughs> you have an hour and a half ages. film of exactly this. It's an hour and a half of Simon giving me shit ideas and me going, dude, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's why we work so well together, Dave. It is a great movie. You guys are not doing a good job of selling it right now. <laughs> it's crap. Just don't watch it. No, it's excellent. I feel like you made it just for me. But I think there's also like a few thousand people out there who also feel the same way about it. It's, yeah. it's, it's actually a hard sell because 
on the surface, it seems like it's a, a film for photographers, specifically uh, film photographers, but it really is a lot of human interest. There's a lot of dialogue yeah. and a lot of this kind of interaction. And so I've run into things where there's photographers who've seen it and go, oh, I think it's too long. Why was it this long? Right. And there's yeah. non-photographers who have seen it and go, I didn't think I'd like this. This was really great. This was excellent. I wouldn't change anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a weird sell because if you fall into this, you like if you like human human interest interaction and like problem solving and stuff and you like photography, that's like the perfect intersection in the Venn diagram where you'll probably really, really enjoy it. And if yeah. you like film photography and darkroom printing, you'll probably enjoy it. If you really like human interest, you'll probably enjoy it. But if you're like in those intersections, like I think it's just a really good film for you. Yeah, yeah, what you're saying is some photographers are human. Yeah. 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 Some of us. I come from Xenu. I feel like the real sweet spot is anybody who like makes things, right? An engineer or backyard engineer of any type is like the the problem solving aspects and the building aspects. To me, you know, forget about the photography, which I love. Um, I think I think that is the most interesting part about it. But I mean, people will take what they what they will, I guess. Yeah, I think one one big thing that you know was a massive um, kind of priority was was to make it as hard as we possibly could make it on ourselves. <laughs> um, you know, and we were constantly doing that. Um, you know, so it was it was a really big gamble as well when you think about it because I mean I was sure that we could do it, but all the like the logistics around actually physically doing it were were just mental so you know it it was kind of a gamble because we got this um we got intrepid to send us the first production in larger and we thought oh shit if this if this doesn't work then what what are we gonna do there's like no documentary it's just gonna be us bickering in a a long echo um (laughs) you know um but i mean having said that talking about problem solving um the like the enlarger only came on on the day that we we were due to start filming um, and, you know, none of that is kind of made up or exaggerated in the documentary. We were like, literally getting really annoyed because we didn't have like the light source. So uh, prior to that, I said today, look, we need a contingency yeah. plan. What do we do? And I said, right, OK, cool. I'm going to go to the hardware store and get a, a you know, a floodlight that oh, runs on. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I'd forgotten that I had sort of built that, um, you know, in in the room that I'm sitting in at the moment. So I thought, if 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 the light source doesn't come, then what do we do? Uh, so I said, okay, we've got a generator. Let's use a let's use a mains powered floodlight. Um, and the only one I could find <laughs> had a PIR sensor on it, so that was a bit tricky as well. Um, but um, yeah, we we had a contingency plan for it. So it turned out that we didn't need the contingency plan, so we used those light sources as actual task lighting for the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, but that was also, um, and that didn't make it in the documentary. But there was like a few days, like a couple days before I flew out, mm. us doing some correspondence, and I was just like, okay, Simon, that I think that's going to vignette too much. Like maybe yeah. put like something right in front of the light in the center to like offset the vignetting and some, you know, it's like this sort of back and forth, like us. Yeah. I was like, cause we need something last minute and we're not going to build a light source, you know, three days before I fly out, two days before Mm -hmm. I fly out. 
so it was like things like that. I was like, okay, think about like maybe even just like a piece of paper, something semi-opaque, cut it in a circle, tape it in the middle and see if that takes care of the vignetting, you know? Um, yeah. And so we were playing with that and, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, I think one of the fun parts and whoever said, you know, basically uh, photographers are people too or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Like, one one of the comments I've gotten a few times from people on this too, uh, from photographers specifically, is that it was actually really nice because we're tired in there and we show in the documentary stupid things we say, stupid things we do. <laughs> like, it's just honest, right? Yeah, and some yeah. people are like, it was actually really reassuring to just see other people make mistakes or say dumb stuff, you know, like in the moment. And you're like, yeah, that's that's what it actually is. We always like showing these like pretty presented final products, but we don't like showing ourselves that like, I'll say dumb stuff. I won't realize that we're getting vignetting from the enlarger. So I'm like, oh, let's pour more developer in the <laughs> bath because I'm just stupid yeah. tired and saying just, yeah. you know, when I watch it, I'm like, why did I say that? Like, what was going on in my head? But, you know, it's nice if you're well, a photographer of, to realize other photographers are morons too. I, I think, part of problem solving is the, is the whole idea of coming up with bad solutions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you, it, it, the first, I mean, if, if we always, you know, had the first idea work, I mean, it'd be pretty boring. It'd be pretty yeah. great, but it'd be pretty boring, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. but, but, you know, one of the things along that line, I wanted to, uh, talk about the, the paddling pools as, um, development trays <laughs> and, what what other options did you have with those? I mean, I, I think I've seen uh, a similar kind of thing done because you, the paper didn't fit in the paddling pools, right? It was bigger mm-hmm. than the paddling pools. Yeah, yeah. Question. Um, so one of the other things, solutions that I've seen is like the the tray that wallpaper papers <laughs> will use to like wet the paper or, or apply um, adhesive, whatever, whatever they do. Um, why did you, ch- what were the other options for those? Mm, um, t- well, we were talking about like this sort of, um, uh, I guess it's like a, a, a channel, a like a, an o- yeah. yeah, like a trough that was maybe a bit curved. So we had looked into sort of building materials and like there's these massive, plastic pipes that you can get and i was thinking about cutting them in you know sort of in in half and i was thinking okay that would be cool because it's rigid easy to take up cut it you know job done but then we looked into the prices and it was just extortionate it was like a you know 500 quid for for a section of pipe and i thought well okay i'm gonna need to steal these and then yeah then we talked about steal them and there were all cameras there so i've gone down i've gone down exactly the same research wormhole of Right, yeah. 12-inch diameter ABS pipe. <laughs> yeah. Way too expensive and too heavy. Yeah. So you yeah. look for construction sites is exactly yeah. what happened on the phone call. Yeah. Like, I was like, Simon, are there construction sites nearby <laughs> big yeah. enough where they wouldn't notice a pipe or two? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so I should say, too, before we even got to that, because you're talking about the like the thing of problem solving, it was sort of fun. Neither Simon nor I had printed this large before. And we sort of didn't do research by contacting people who actually knew what the hell they were doing. So we just sort of went down a normal, like, um, well, we just, we normally use trays. We need bigger trays, right? <laughs> so, so, right? Like, 
you don't really think about it and then sort of come to like this trough thing. Well, if we run it through evenly and we're sort of like evolving, but then it wasn't practical. And uh-huh. for the location, we needed something very light um, because, you know, it's like a few hundred meters just to the entrance. You know, it's not like we can take huge trays. You know, we have to be right. sort of weight conscientious and stuff. So in the end, inflatable pools made the most sense. In hindsight, yeah. I would have ran the print through the pool like you do a trough to make sure the chemical goes on more evenly. But it's funny. We go through all this, and then I talk to the guy who runs the store in Toulouse in the city near me, um, the this the the sort of analog photography store, old school, you know, uh, photographer. And he's like, yeah, you need troughs. They're called in, – in French, the word they use is gutter. Right, their word for gutter. Uh-huh. He's like, sure. use use printing gutters, and I was like, printing gutters, that's a thing. He's like, you don't know this, and I'm like, uh, you know, because we didn't actually, mm-hmm. neither of us had printed this big. So now he sold me two of his old printing gutters, so for paper that size. So I actually have them in my garage now, which is really funny. Um, but neither of us had printed that big. Oh, so, okay. So we're just running through all this like stuff in our head and going through what makes sense, and we know the paper the chemicals have to so we sort of came up with the idea of a printing gutter before anyone told us that was actually how you're supposed to do it so that was sort of fun in hindsight you're like no that's cool conclusion uh back in high school i made some eight by ten foot prints and had to build like a frame and then just draped a tarp over it with three depressions and ran the paper through like a rotary processor but by hand with a friend um pretty effective i would like to build some more of those one day yeah (laughs) I mean, yeah. but there is something fun about coming to that on your own. So Simon and I threw this back and forth. It's like Simon was saying, we're talking about this and, you know, he's pricing stuff too expensive, talking about if there's a place where we could just, you know, get a five finger discount. But then there's the weight issue. And so we decided to stick with the, <laughs> the right. paddling. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was a great solution. I, I thought, um, you know, uh, it it. It was it's simple. And, you know, I mean, those things are ubiquitous and they're cheap. Right. So, uh, yeah, I thought that 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 was an effective solution. It was it was only the next day that when we woke up and dismantled the sort of, you know, kind of camping kind of area and we were cleaning up that we noticed there was tons of broken glass underneath them as well. So that went up. You know, because obviously, like the 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 light bulkheads down there, um, you know, surrounded by metal, and you know, when it gets cold and moisture forms, then uh, it kind of freezes, and then the the glass is broken in most of the bulkheads. So that's all the way down there, uh, which is kind of why we used skateboards because we knew that we had to transport all the gear, and we thought, well, uh, you know, there is, there is broken gas at some point, so let, let's use uh, skateboards and stuff. But, but yeah, it was it was it was a it was a good option. But I think like in hindsight, like if we were to do it ever again, um, you know, I was working, you know, with with the paddling pools in in the garage and um, actually pouring the dev over the the actual um, paper. So you you would weight the paper down after you've you know shined your light on the paper. Uh, you know, weight the paper down, and then pour the dev over is far better for streaking. But you'd obviously have to do your sort of test strip kind of separately and stuff, you know? Um, and then you've only, literally, you've only got the kind of one chance to do that. 
otherwise you're going to have to empty all the chems out and clean the pool and all the rest of it. So there are, I've had really good success after one shot inching down with that same process, but just pouring the dev over after doing a test strip, you know? I mean, I feel yeah. like you guys had, an, like I was surprised because I had seen some scans, but in the, in the film you sort of pan through and look at details. I mean, the print you've made, despite all of your bumbling or, actually because of all of your bumbling is beautiful yeah. right like it's, it is yeah. it is such a nice job and it's surprising nice. and it's like amazing to watch um you guys come up with like progressively less bad ideas and in real time like, <laughs> watch watch as as you figure it out and like i mean yeah. the print being beautiful is like the icing on the cake but watching you figure it out is is great it's funny yeah yeah, I'm glad uh, it's yeah. it's a privilege to learn from other people's mistakes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and I, I just I just thought of I have a tip for you. Um, the next time you have a motion detector activated light source, um, <laughs> just um, take it off. <laughs> bring along no, bring along a rodent and a gerbil wheel. <laughs> That's such a Nick Lyle solution to changing <laughs> contacts on, yeah. on an electrical yeah. circuit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what if the uh, what if the rodent is uh, talking about how awesome it was to watch you create um, this amazing print uh, in the movie and and how open you were about showing the process and making you know poor decisions to good decisions where you know I'm always reticent to talk about uh, what I'm working on before I have something to show for myself it's one of the reasons that I am often hesitant to be on this podcast because I can run my mouth so much better than I can uh, deliver on some things or at least so much quicker. And, <laughs> and I think that that took a lot of like bravery and chutzpah on your part to show in the film, but also, you know, being friends with you guys, I, I watched for a year as you were talking about the film and releasing little clips and photos. Um, and I, I think it was really amazing that you included the community in the process of making a film. I have made films in the past that you know never came to be or were horrible and it it is part of the main lesson that i learned that i shouldn't talk about anything until i have something that i'm proud of uh but that's something that you guys sort of threw caution to the wind and said you know to hell with it people are going to come come along on this journey with us which i thought was was great and i think the community thinks was great i wonder you know did you guys intentionally uh, share everything in the process of making your movie, uh, knowing that that it might come back to bite you or make you look foolish? And said, you know, this is this is a thing we want to share the entirety of, or was it something you didn't even think about and just said, okay, <laughs> this is a cool thing I'm doing, I want to share it. Um, how much? How much did you think about that? Let, let me get in first before you, you're you're itching to get in there, Dave. Okay. Um, but let me just jump. Um, Dave is always telling me, like, consistently telling me not to share stuff. 
um like so we're kind of working on something else just now and you know because i'm like really excited about it and it's proper mental and you know things are going well and i really want to share stuff and dave's like no it's a good thing it's a good thing don't share it you know we need to we need to like you know be, be clinical about this sort of stuff now um but so so i'm kind of having to wind my neck in a bit and like not share stuff and and things like that so you know simon but what so so, okay these are like meta things like showing us as part of a process i think is good but we should present that process in the best way possible right like the metas should be well produced even if we are rough around the edges does that make sense and so Simon gets really excited. So before Simon even has like a good looking product, he wants to throw it out there. He's like shot some video and he's just like, I want to put this online. And I'm like, dude, you don't know how to color correct video yet. Like, can we at least learn how to like color correct first? Right. So that's different. All right, it's so Simon. boring. Like, it's so boring. Just yeah. get it done. Put it out know. there. I don't know. I don't think the timid boys has quite the same ring. it's just completely mental boys yeah oh okay so so yeah go ahead oh i was gonna say to answer you like at least for me because i did i was the main editor on this so simon actually came out and was here for a week and we did we got a lot of the rough cut done together which was really nice um so while simon didn't have the background in video editing you know he was there we looked at the footage together and got a rough cut but then he left and I and I made the final cut. And then when editing, it is hard to put that out there. So it was something I was conscientious of. Like it wasn't something I didn't think about at all. But I think there's this huge affliction that we want, especially in the age of social media, we present ourselves too much as like a finished product. Um, mm-hmm. Right? There's, a, there's this fear. Right? Like this is a thing in politics too where – we say, oh, it's bad. Look at how many times this politician changed their mind. And we go, see, we don't want to vote for them. I'm like, well, no, like anyone who's not, who's honest, who has intellectual honesty should change their mind, right? Because there's not one person in this world who had, who knew everything at, at, you know, the age of 20, right? And so I think that kind of honesty is really important for us to show even if it's hard. So in my life in general, I try to be better about like calling up old friends, like, hey, we had a conversation about this that, or the other thing. At the time I disagreed with you, thanks to that conversation, I changed my mind to this. Even if it's not that I agree with them now, but if I changed my mind, I try to like call people up and say, hey, look, thanks. Um, you influenced me to, you know, and I don't think we're vulnerable enough like that and everyone online and it leads to the whole like you know how people comment on petapixel like their mm-hmm. photographer already knows everything about there is to know about photography and you can't have honest discourse or learning what's so it's, it's it's just a blog man don't read the comments it's the uh, biggest internet photo blog yeah uh, is it yeah, yeah. Oh, okay is jeremy yeah. north on that do you have the internet <laughs> 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 is it his? Does oh, he write it? I think he may embody it, but does he yeah. does he do lessons? <laughs> oh man. Don't well, yeah. put that in. Don't fucking put that oh, in. I hope I hope <laughs> um, 
Okay, so so despite what I had thought, because you shared so much, I assumed this uh, film would never come out because I watched you making it for a year, right? Which is actually a pretty quick time to make yeah. a feature yeah. film. But, you know, yeah. just in my experience, I was like, well, we're going to get a lot of good clips from this. But then you finished it, and it was an excellent film. Uh, how's, you, you know, you've been showing it around in some public forums and... Uh, Shown it on the internet. How's has the reception been, and what what uh, were some of your favorite uh, showings? Well, I, mean, I think um, go on, go on, Dave. Do it, do it, Dave. Okay, I was gonna say like overall the reception has been great during like actual showings, which has been yeah. great. Um, some of my favorite things, a very first showing in um, in, in Scotland, in Vernas, yeah. So my, one of my favorite things was a friend of Simon's mom went. <laughs> Uh, because she was Simon's mom's friend and she we did a Q&A afterwards and uh, Simon's mom's friend was like hey guys I want to say this honestly I agreed to this because um, you know like I was because I was her friend but honestly I wasn't looking forward to it I was like great okay my friend's son is climbing through oily holes like this isn't <laughs> interesting I'm not a photographer I don't care you know disappointed that there's no wine at the showing like okay and she says all this and she's like but then what you made is like really interesting there's like a story like I really enjoyed it I and she just expressed how surprised she was that she enjoyed it yeah which and she gave me, us wine as well she yeah and she gave wine. us a bottle of wine yeah, yeah. Um, we should have drank that yeah yeah, we, we brought it. Yeah. But um, yeah. so for me, like, that's the kind of stuff that's been interesting, too. Like, and like yeah. I said, um, there and you so you get that from some people are like, I just really enjoyed this. I loved watching it. And then you have some photographers, which is um, who just, you know, are like, oh, it's too long. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, there's a lot of human interest and stuff that's not directly photography. Um, yeah. So for me, like I said before, I think it is interesting to see who has really enjoyed it, who who thought, like, it could have been, like, an hour-long, you know, or shorter thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's just been really interesting to me. But overall, the reception's been good, and the showings have been a blast, and the Q&A have been a blast. I think Q&As are fun because there's so much craziness in there that people, like, have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Like, there's never been a Q&A where people are like, oh, that's... Like, everyone's like, what does it smell like in there? What's it like to stay in there? What's it, you know, like, they just have all kinds of questions. And which has just been fun. Um, yeah. It, it's cool. It's like a really, really um, sort of fulfilling thing to, to have done to sort of expose a place that's completely void of, of, of light, you know, and, and, and you know, show people it. Um, and, and, you know, we, we filmed a, a good sort of comprehensive tour and maybe the tour section is a little bit too long for some people, but I, I kind of felt that we needed to do that because it had never been done. And, you know, it was such a strategic installation for the war. And if we didn't have that, then, you know, shit might have hit the fan. You just never know. Um, so there's all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. that, that is really kind of fulfilling. Yeah. Um, y- you know, so... I, I've really enjoyed the response from it, and mm. you know, it, it, it's 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 kind of cool for people to see, you know, how crazy it is down there. Um, and in fact, for this kind of new project that we're kind of embarking on, I had to do a, a fair bit of research on the other um, similar sites. There's there's three in the UK, um, 
And um, so I was doing some research and looking at the videos online. And there's, there's a few people that have been into similar sites and they're like, no way are we going down that ladder. That's absolutely ridiculous. And they all just like, you know, they, they, they get out of there. Um, but, you know, we've, we've kind of filmed the, the, the whole installation and, we've, you know, we've, we've, we've shown people what it is like down there. And that's kind of how we wanted to film it as well. Um, so using sort of, you know, task lighting only because... wanted to sort of give that you know experience to people so i think that's what's kind of hitting home is you know we've done something that's that, that's enabled people that that wouldn't be able to go in there for whatever reason you know uh, to to see the place so i think that one, one of the things ahead. that absolutely strikes me about this this whole thing um and this is a little bit off uh from what ethan was asking but is the fact that you uh, that normal like non-governmental officials have access to this thing i mean there's the key keeper um mm-hmm. i don't know if that's a, a, a you know if his position is in a official paid position or whether he's just you know uh an enthusiast you know he's the yeah, uh, yeah. oil tank version of a uh of a train spotter you know mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know but it's um more than that, <laughs> You know, I, I just think of I just think of how the in a lot of areas of the world, the only access to this would be you guys taking bolt cutters down there and and, you know, and, Again? And, well, right, there we go. and and breaking in versus um, versus there being official access and permission access. Was there. Was there any issue other than, you know, getting the key keeper to to um, to uh, um, give you access to that? There was discussion of breaking in. The first time well, I visited, Simon knew about this place. He's like, I want to yeah. get into this. I've made inroads. I think I found the key holder. But if we, he doesn't get back to us before you leave, we're going to figure out a way in. <laughs> yeah, there's. So, so that 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 way that I thought we could get in, um, if we didn't find the key holder, would not have been a good day. Um, we would have been stuck in a pipe uh, for, wow. for for a long time. We'd probably still be there. Um, <laughs> but it, it, you know, it's it's funny, and, and in fact, one of one of the you know reasons that I couldn't be down at the the kiln showing, which is in Worcester, um, was because now I. <laughs> Now I'm the health and safety advisor for the owners that uh, you own know the that, that, that own the land and the tanks. So okay. <laughs> he's the safety advisor for the people. Who <laughs> Just let that sink in, everyone. So what's next for the Danger Boys? I, I, currently, we're Simon. So I can't be there for this, but so Simon's mostly filming. But we're trying to do like sort of a mini series just about the Inchindown facility because there's been so many so much interest in it, and we have access to it. So we figure why not exploit that and try to make some more on it. So Simon's been like working on re reinstituting the winches for the pipes and the 
tanks and stuff and pretty dumb things. What do you, yeah, Simon? yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty dumb and, and scary and a bit risky as well. Um, so, um, uh, yeah. So there's there's the winch rooms that are you know incredibly important to the whole facility. And I thought about okay, would we be able to reinstate you know a working winch room? Um, and would we be able to uh, successfully raise one of the swing arm pipes that was designed to extract and fill the uh, the oil tanks? Um, so that's that's kind of one of the episodes that we're we're kind of working on just now. That, that you know, uh, I'm not sure whether it'll be the first episode or wherever it'll fit in, but you know, you know, as Dave was saying, a, a mini episode, a mini series on on inch and down is what we're working on just now. It's sort of you know more concentrating on the engineering feats and the engineering side of things, and essentially trying to explain that you know in a visual kind of way um, and we recently uh, gained access to in fact five cds worth of um of schematics on uh, one of the sort of sister sites to inch and down so you know there's a lot of information that we're able to share with people now so um yeah so it's it's, it's involving me uh doing lots of crazy stuff lots of ropes lots of oil um lots of danger and um yeah uh, so that's that's kind of what we're working on just now um but but you know kind of happy to to work on anything else does anybody have any other suggestions yeah i i got a few so i'm happy to see more about inch and down and i wonder if uh, that's sort of a long-term project or just kind of a quickie yeah. you guys are going to throw together mm-hmm. um i am excited to see you guys do more large format photography and you know, uh, semi-impossibly difficult-sounding photo projects, maybe in caves, maybe on huge cameras. Maybe I can convince you guys to come out here, get in a Jeep, load up a 20 by 24 camera that I have not yet finished, and uh, try and go shoot some direct positives on photo paper and maybe some lava tubes or at the top of a volcanic monadnock called Cabazon out here or um, in some places that are hard to get to that may or may not need ropes, but certainly need some balanced thick boots and gloves for the cacti. Okay. Um, Ethan, it sounds like you've already actually scripted it. So I've, I've uh, kind of thought about this, <laughs> where, where I would take these guys, for sure. This is... All right, so I'm going to try and horn in on this trip, and I'm going to offer that I've been working hard for the last five years on branch of technical rope work that arborists use for tree climbing. Yeah. They are, they're by far in the lead um, in terms of all the different avenues for rope work for being able to work comfortably with your hands while up on up in the air. Definitely. You know, these, guys, these guys have to use chainsaws, you know, in a tree with ropes around them that are that are holding their their lives. Yeah. Up. Yeah. They're big swingers. Got, they have the best gear and the best techniques so they yeah. can ascend a rope and rappel back down on the same device. So you don't have to do that dangerous changeover. Yeah. They have some really, <laughs> really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let, let's get you on. I'm, I'm I'm starting to walk over to wherever I'm supposed to be. So so what we're saying is we got to make a, a GoFundMe because uh, unfortunately one shot inch and down hasn't exactly like it's most popular on Prime Video where we make like ten cents per hour viewed. You never told me it was that much. Yeah, ten cents <laughs> per hour. Yeah. Jesus, Dave, can you send me some money? Yeah, I'll send you. <laughs> 
I'll send you all five yeah. bucks we've made on on Prime. Um, <sighs> Thanks, man. But uh, but yeah, um, I am down because like so, w- the whole idea of one shot, like I pitched this to Simon. I was like, I think this has legs. Like I think a sort of trying to make one image in like crazy locations to make it difficult, like is just interesting in the age of digital yeah. photography where we take a bunch of photos, we curate them, we figure out what's best and we put it on online. Um, so just going countercultural and just doing something ridiculous. Um, so like I'm down. I if we could get the if we could get the funding to fly out, like that's I think that I think for both Simon and me, that is the main limiting factor. Oh, I don't need to fly. I think, I'm, I'm, I'm walking right now. <laughs> I think Virgin Atlantic should just give you guys free tickets. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, <laughs> near me in New Mexico, there's the spaceport. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Can we go okay, Simon. Space? Simon, start building a rocket. Um, yeah. You know, oh gosh. Well, literally, just ski poles in a trash bag. No, come on. You don't need them. I've just got a coke bottle here. I'm looking at it. It's in it. I don't think I can fit in it, but um, but, but maybe I can. But um, I think one thing that I'm I'm kind of trying to concentrate on just now is is like this collodion thing. Um, and I would love, I know, you know, it's, it's even worse than shooting a paper neck, uh, and stuff, but. Well, yeah, think, you've got poison too. That's, that'll add extra danger. Yeah. yeah and you yeah. can blow yourself up. It's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but kind of what I'm thinking is, you know, you know, it's like such a, such a unique one-off kind of thing to have a, you know, a glass or a, you know, metal plate of something. Um, I would love to sort of try and uh, I not sort of recreate inch and down or anything like that but see if you could sort of do that sort of technique you know in in really really difficult places to do that technique in and see how that kind of evolved uh, I think that's kind of something that I would like to look into Dave will probably say you're being an idiot uh, don't bother with it um, and that's probably how it'll end up <laughs> I, I think I mean the idea of one shot right as like a series of you guys yeah. going to take one shot where you have one shot at something yeah. uh, and no more in a really difficult place is super interesting to me. I would love to see more, and I would I would love to truck you guys in the Jeep way out to some uh, lava fields with these huge cathedral lava tubes. They seem actually probably easier to get into than the oil tanks, but not <laughs> super easy to work in. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. I, I like the idea of doing a giant direct positive, too, because, like... Whether it be colloidin or like any kind of alt process, or just I think if we do this, we have to change the process, right? We've already done yeah. a yeah. big dark room, Hot you know, like yeah. yeah, traditional yeah. negative with enlargement. Um, well, so I, I really want to put it in your head, right? In in six months' time, actually, April first is the homemade camera podcast uh, self-developing camera challenge, and and I would like to at that point be able to shoot like 20 by 24 Polaroid style, black and white or color uh, prints right in camera and yeah. develop yeah. them in the field if you guys are up for carrying a bunch of buckets. Well, yeah. let, I mean, let's make a, should we do a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter for the, for the <laughs> next, uh, for the next one shot? I just have one question. Um, yeah. Are the buckets empty? Cause I'm, I'm no. knackered. They're going to be, Filled with water. 
I got like for Jeep in <sighs> the desert, I have like three seven gallon uh, like jerry cans that I keep in the back of my Jeep. Are there no taps in the desert? With. No, <laughs> it's so dry. <laughs> can you, Actually, can you not just okay. stick a I'll, tap in I'll, the, I'll, in the I'll, cactus? I'll no, carry just, the cans, Simon. Okay. Just no, run them on a skateboard. You know the <laughs> the tubes yeah. that I like going into. Uh, were used by the conquistadors for harvesting water while crossing the desert because there's often like ice in the bottom of them, of them even in the summertime. And so, well, you know, for 500 miles in any direction, it might be totally dry. You can usually chip away some ice uh, down yeah. in the bottom of the cave and bring it up Take to it up, water yeah. sources. I like but I mean, we can we can bring our own water. No, let's not. Well, <laughs> Develop with cave water. No, yeah. I think that I think that's perfect if we do something with you, Ethan. I talked to. Do you know um, uh, what um, Viewfinder Vikings podcast? You know, sure. Sven, um yeah. on that. He 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 wanted to do a one shot maybe in in Norway, and um, I think doing glass plate in Norway is what we talked about, Simon. So I think for the Oof. the for the Norway episode, we'll do glass plate somehow. But I think if we do with Ethan. I love the idea of doing a giant trek positive. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's do a, the other. Let's, the other benefit is you wouldn't have to fly with any equipment. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, show that's, up. I got bike helmets aplenty for caving. That's, that's awesome. perfect. That's exactly it. What so, one? Yeah. I if, guess. I, if I can drive down there, I could bring a bunch of gear too. Yep. Done. Yes. All, All right. the ropes. Um, one one other sort of episode that I thought we could maybe do was like a skydive wet plate. <laughs> I think you need a faster process if you're going to do a, a uh, alt process in what to a minute or two minutes yeah. or what? two For minutes max. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we should uh, do it. It's going to Ed- look blurry, isn't it? Well, no. So Harold Edgerton, uh, Doc Edgerton, who invented the electronic strobe, uh, one of the earliest uses was mounting strobes on the bottom of spy planes in World War II, so you could flash an entire city and take take a photo at night. I think, I mean, you, you could get like a, you know, 20 kilojoule uh, capacitor and, and a spy <laughs> plane illuminate your skydive photo, just, but it is visible. Three farads, like, yeah, just like three farads in one flash and just discharge that you'd have yeah. to do it in what that area 51 or whatever right so yeah, <laughs> double, double uh area 51 on wet plate with a strobe <laughs> from a from an airplane that simon made yeah let me, let me throw this out at you too is i'm only a few miles away from the trinity site which is where they blew up the first uh nuclear yeah. bomb, nuclear bomb uh, yeah. in white sands twice a year they let you take a tour out there it's not that interesting but there's also a missile range which is White Sands National Monument, although it might be National Park now. Anyway, it's beautiful. It looks like the surface of the moon. It's not really that difficult to get to, um, but they do close it down once in a while because they're shooting missiles at it. Uh, but when it's open, um, that's also a really fun place to go. Take some oh, big old. I want to go when it's closed, Ethan. Nah, yeah, get... the, the the missiles flying at you is uncool. Dangerous. <laughs> 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 source, source of illumination though yeah there's, yeah. there's, your, there's your flash <laughs> there's also like a heavy concentration of optical engineers down in that part of the world let's go yeah. um okay well do you, you have experience with kickstarter i so do 
So should so, we just should we I do mean, a Kickstarter? Yeah. So one, I don't think it would be that expensive, right? I'll feed you and and you can stay at my house or we can stay in tents yeah. and I'll buy the gas and the chemistry and the equipment. So basically you just got to get here and get home. Um, I don't know how expensive that is. Occasionally, like, I mean, from Europe, it's more expensive, but yeah. maybe 500 bucks you could get a round trip ticket at the right time of year. Um, I will make time. I have a couple of weddings to go to, but other than that, I will make time. And then, yeah, running a Kickstarter, it's uh, super easy. You just go pod tart yourself out, get on all the podcasts, get on all the blogs, <laughs> tell yeah. people give me a dollar, <laughs> and then maybe, you get rich. Maybe, maybe we should do a GoFundMe. See, the great thing about GoFundMe is you don't have to promise any, like, um, <laughs> promise any kickbacks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, hey, give us money. This is um, going to be rubbish. Pay us now. I'm I'm surprised we got we got like two thousand euros on GoFundMe and I'm like who the crap supported and this if, before we had if you have two thousand euros that's more than enough to fly you and sign yeah, out yeah. in the right time yeah. here we have an international yeah. sun port here I pick you up from the airport okay okay I have a friend who went around the world on a rowboat mostly by you know getting people to donate and uh, it took a long time there. I think, well, I th- we have proof of concept now, so I think trying to get money for the next one might be might be. The a- other thing is like now that you have proof of concept, <laughs> nobody's going to give us money. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the thing is now that you have proof of concept, and now that you spent an entire year editing this thing, you have yeah. like sort of a formula to the point where I bet the second time you could one shoot what you know would fit into that editing formula, yeah. and two edit it together in like two months. Yeah. Well, you know I'm doing all the editing now, don't you? So no, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, yeah, one thing you decent video you, equipment for what that's worth. Not that I. I'm use sorry. It. You you can. I'm sorry. You can offer a uh, something reasonable like you know a zine. A, yeah. It's a, a tangible product coming out of the project. So someone someone along the way is taking some stills and right now. Yeah, and, uh, you know if yeah. we if we were to shoot direct positives. You know, maybe it's not one shot, but one shot in each place of five places we would see over a week, and then you could maybe pre-sell some of those prints. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I mean, it. there's a bu- there's a bunch of things like too. I mean, like I like the idea of just on the side someone doing like just sort of documentary of the documentary, you know, with mm-hmm. photos that could make a, a zine. And I think you could promise, even if it is just one shot, you know, if we keep with that formula. You could promise uh, like a digital print of that, and if for some reason it doesn't work out, then you get like one shot of Tanky or so, you know something else. Like, um, yeah. Uh, what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, I came down to Tucson with my wife for a couple of weeks, and uh, and I, you know, I always take a lot of pictures when I come down here because there's sun, which I don't have at home. And <laughs> the, the, this time I thought I would be, you know, really clever and travel light. I usually bring too many cameras wherever I go, and I just brought uh, one medium format camera, which is a, a Mamiya 645. I like using it, but as soon as I loaded it with film, once I got here. 
I have a big sack of 120 film. It immediately packed up and stopped working. Um, it won't, <laughs> it won't advance the film properly. And so I, as an, I had an emergency trip to this wonderful old camera store in Tucson called Monument Camera, and they had on the shelf a 1930 Zeiss Icon Iconta in perfect working condition for a very low price. So I, I was saved. And I, <laughs> I was just reminded how much I like really simple cameras that don't break. This thing is what 1930, so it's uh, it's 90 years old and it's working fine. And this darn Mamiya camera is all bollocked up because it's far too complicated. And yeah. uh, anyway, that, that's the lesson. True. Uh, Nick, or uh, sorry, Ethan, what are you up to? Um, I've just been finishing up the last little bits and bobs for the Bronco pan. Um, this week I've got a laser cut some film counter dials and, um, some focusing aids. And I guess I've been fiddling around with prototyping some new things. Um, I've been getting into SolidWorks and making designs for some large format shutters to go with some large format lenses that should cover 16 by 20 or maybe larger. I made a, uh, lens barrel for a Copal Zero shutter, which was amazing because I could resin print a thread pitch of 0.5 millimeters, which fits, you know, Copal elements for a buddy of mine who um, doesn't have shutters for a bunch of lenses that it's not worth buying shutters for. Um, I made a toilet tank flapper valve uh, to fix my <laughs> toilet. My girlfriend was impressed for only like five minutes at most. I get satisfaction out of it every time I flush. Um, yeah, just sort of tinkering around with 3D printing. I'm going to take till like February to work on projects that I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, wedded to the idea of bringing to market immediately. And then February, I think, is time to get down with the laser cutter uh, really hard and bring the Cajon sliding box cameras to market and also some uh, folding large format cameras up to 20 by 24 and uh, the self-developing backs and lenses and things. I'm, I'm hoping to get those out. Um, not super soon, but that's that's what I'm working on. Did you say a folding 20 by 24? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, that sounds great. It's got folding, right? It's going to be. Here's that me does. running my mouth before I have anything to show. <laughs> yeah. There we go. No, that's be. forcing. Now you have to come through. This is good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does... Does it have bin bags? Does it have what? Bin bags, bin bags. the trash bags. That's, trash that's bags. what oh, no, no, no. This people one's, call trash I mean, yeah, oh, bin bags. Yeah. I no, those, those, are op those would be optional, yeah. Um, oh, no, it'll, okay. It'll, it'll you can upgrade like, to them? Uh, much yeah, yeah. like the Camerodactyl 4x5. But this one, you know, the large pieces I will cut out of wood or acrylic on a laser cutter. So I can make big things quickly and cheaply. I mean, they're still going to be expensive cameras. The bellows will still take, you know, two or three hours to put one together, which makes the thing at least, yeah. you know, $300 worth of labor in, in bellows folding. But, you know, for a 20 by 24 camera, if I can sell it for under 1500 bucks, I think I will be the least expensive and the most fun option out there. And probably, probably a pretty good one. We'll, we'll see. I won't release it until I think it's, excellent to work with and if i don't i won't release it at all if you need someone to test it um well yeah it's just it's just a coincidence that that someone for the low low price of one of one ticket to new mexico you guys can come out 
and test it to your heart's content. Uh, <laughs> under under close supervision. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, you'll be able to you'll be able to lose him in the tubes and main. Yeah, the game. It'll be fine. I was gonna say, where's Ethan? Oh, I don't know. There's his camera. Uh, but I guess run. There are cameras now. I don't know if you guys can drive stick, but if you can't, you need me to get out of there. No, I, I, I only drive stick. stick. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, but we uh, both live in countries where there aren't many automatics too. So uh, yeah, that's yeah. great. But in the U.S., I only drove stick too, so don't worry. I, I can kill you. <laughs> okay. Wait, what? Wait, what are we, we don't have to kill him. We just need to keep him down there. Kill him. Yeah, that's right. True. Just toss a sandwich in once a day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like it's a small price to pay for the camera. Yeah, <laughs> we do take sandwiches, and eternal like yeah, living in a hole. Um, right. right. So Dave, what have you been working on uh, lately? So I uh, I had a friend. He's doing a course on documentary photography mm-hmm. um, in Madrid. So I knew him from Toulouse, and he's been traveling the world with his girlfriend for the past couple years. And she works for different NGOs and stuff. And he ended up back in Madrid to do uh, a documentary photography course. And he's working on this project in Toulouse. So he asked to stay with me for a week because he needed a place to crash. And so he's mostly a digital photographer, but he's done some darkroom stuff um, before. And so it was nice having him around for the past week because we spent some time in the darkroom. And so the first day in the darkroom, we actually literally mashed up a couple negatives I had laying around. So uh, a beach negative with this woman walking down the beach with a negative from the tanks that Simon did with these like swirls, you know, with like sort of weird light painting swirls. They're not um, swirls, they're spirals, Dave. Yeah, sorry. No, you got to work on your spiral. Okay. Um, so so these swirl spirals. And so it was just sort of like, oh, these sort of mix up in a fun, interesting way, and people seem to really like it. And when you talk about, um, I guess, like off the air, we're sort of talking about like what's what people like on Instagram. It's really funny because I was just sort of what looks good, not much thought, let's have fun in the darkroom. So he made this print and it got a great response, you know, tons of people liking it and going, this is awesome. And then um, there was a comment from, uh, uh, he is, should not be named, sort of this guy who's not the nicest person in the world on Twitter often. And, um, is it about, Jeremy North? <laughs> possibly. That's a very, that'd be a very interesting guess. Um, but uh, I thought it was so, Voldemort. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is v- Voldemort North. Yeah. Um, so, like... Um, <laughs> I'm going to call him Voldemort from now on. But uh, so anyway, so someone in the community posted uh, a Holga, a picture of a Holga with another plastic camera and two rolls of expired film and said, hey, I'm taking out like expired film and plastic fantastics. And which including a Holga. And the response was like, why not just shoot with why use that junky film? Why not just use fresh film and support the community, support the product producers and then the follow-up was also, like, why use, uh, like, crappy cameras? Why not use, like, good material? And then he said, if you actually wanted a crappy image, you could just use re- wax crayon to get a crappy image, right? And so, I am quite talented with wax crayon. Yeah, ex- yeah exactly. <laughs> so I was thinking about this, and I looked at my buddy who was staying over for the week, and I was like, hey, dude, I sort of want to make a project using this very expired 50 by 60 centimeter paper, so big paper, 
extremely expired paper um, and wax crayon-like portraits um, with me holding my Holga. Like, would you be into that? And he's like, yeah. So I explained to him the whole thing. <laughs> and it's not a code word, is it? No, no, no. Okay. We have much more direct code words. And um, so, yeah, so, I, so one of the things we worked on this past week was making this triptych. Um, on expired paper, really flat contract. I really love how they turned out with the wax crayon on top. And even though it was shot on four by five large format, um, I sort of used a front tilt in the lens to make it look blurry around the edges, sort of like a Holga. I used black crayon directly on the 50 by 50 centimeter prints because, you know, we had to print square because Holga um, uh, to make to imitate vignetting. Um, and I really like how the, the triptych turned out. So it was sort of inspired by this like comment. Um, and so scrawled in crayon underneath the center image on the triptych is expired film is better than expired ideology. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. yeah. That's great. I, I know Holgas are so annoying because they, they make such excellent photographs and they just shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> they're like interesting. They're to try. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's interesting. It's like, oh, I took this picture of a chair, but because of the vignetting and the softness, for some reason, I feel really sad looking at it and it works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just hey. had this, uh, I just had this battle with Jeremy North the other day and he, he came around. He's, he's fine. <laughs> Did you beat him up physically? No, no, it was just a, we exchanged words on a, I think it was the classic lenses podcast, uh, Facebook group, someplace amazing. like that. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad um, for my last comments. Oops. Uh, no, no, uh, that's the whole, that's the whole point is if we challenge each other, then we'll, we'll rise to the occasion. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and, and on that note, uh, Simon, what have you been doing? Hanging off ropes upside down in the tanks. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know what else to say really. Um, do it, doing crazy engineering, reinstating winches and steel cables that will probably snap in my face and kill me. Um, uh, that's it. Job All done. Right. Yeah. Probably probably be wouldn't be legal in in the UK, but if you need a welder uh, sometime, I'd be happy to jump to help out. yeah 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 come over come over <laughs> by then i'll probably be dead um <laughs> and dave will be well, really happy because i'll not be filming we'll, anymore we'll fish you out <laughs> thank you it'd be most appreciated yeah but uh yeah just been working hard on the on the new project um there's yeah there's a lot going on down there um a lot of things to consider and um, things are looking good. We've actually achieved what we set out to do um, in the in the first kind of episode that we that we're making. So we were able to winch the pipe up, but um, nice. yeah, we we won't be sharing any images. Well, I won't be sharing any images because Dave's going to tell me off. So uh, yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> um, I have been. Um, printing 3d printing some uh some test models that are going to go out to a few people of uh of my 6x12 camera um i uh have also officially changed the name or officially given it 
a name. Um, so the six by twelve is now the Kraken. So hey! that, and you have to kind Leash of say it. it like that. It is the Kraken. Um, yeah. So uh, there was a there was a big. First of all, Nick was just bugging me uh, to to really give it a name. Um, and the other thing I was thinking is how many six by twelves are there out there? I mean, there are a few. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just thought that the description was not good enough. So uh, so branding says it is now the Kraken. Um, and uh, that means that future um, uh, future cameras will all have uh, Norse mythical creatures on them uh, as their name. So, uh, it, OK, but you can't take Sasquatch and Chupacabra. I got those. Chupacabra is a cool one. Chupacabra is one of them. Uh, Ethan, we're going to fight. We're going to fight over Chupacabra. Uh, no, just change oh, the spelling. Just change the spelling. No. <laughs> wait, wait. Change the spelling on Chupacabra? I mean, Chupacabra it's like, is not Norse mythology. How do you even spell that? Exactly. Uh, a bunch C-H-U-P-A-C-A-B-R-A. It's, it's, it's a goat yeah. sucker. Yeah, it's right, right. It's a, it's a vampire, vampiritic creature. Um, so All right, I'm well, going to I'm going to be the impartial the judge. Hold on, hold on. I'm no, going to no, be the no, impartial no. judge here. <laughs> Ethan's <laughs> camera is the chupacabra, and Graham's camera is the goat sucker. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorted. That Done. Sucks. Okay. Seconded. Seconded. I was. Okay. So. So I was uh, I was going to say the first person with a working prototype and pictures up on Instagram, but I don't know. Maybe I can go with the goat sucker. Um, yeah, I think you have to. I think you have to go with the goat sucker. All right. I think, uh, David, what would goat sucker be in French? <laughs> like, apparently they don't have such a thing. Yeah, I don't know if we have a, have a goat uh, sucker Yeah, in, Let, in French. Go, okay. I don't know how we – yeah, um, I don't know. It might do sound classier anyhow. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, but like, uh, chef. Well, uh, no, like goat is chef. Um, uh-huh. Oui. Like, uh, sous-sir chef. Oui. Goat yeah, sucker is bad. Well, we'd say like maybe sous-sir chef. <laughs> On dirait sous-sir chef. C'est ça. No, no. Goat <laughs> All right. Well, it's let's very try a German then. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. okay, I, you know, in, in that, in that battle, some of you may have thought I lost. I won. I won. <laughs> 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 um, and uh, the Kraken will be. I have a release date. It will be the day after tax day in the U.S., which is April sixteenth. So April 16th is when I plan on releasing the files. They will be um, uh, files once again. Um, and um, and there'll, you'll, you'll hear plenty more about that as it comes about. Um, and hopefully you'll hear it from other folks as well as I uh, get some sample cameras out there. Okay, if you want to get a hold of us, um, you can get a hold of Ethan. 
Ethan at cameradactyl.com. You can get a hold of Nick, uh, Nick at homemadecamera.com. You can get a hold of Graham, Graham at homemadecamera.com. Uh, how about Dave? How, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, DavidSAllen.com. Yeah, or at D Bloomsday, wherever fine social medias are had. Okay. And uh, Simon, how do we get a hold of you? No chance, because I'm, I'm in the tanks hanging upside down. Okay. Um... <laughs> but, hey, okay. real quick, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this but... is important. If somebody yeah. wants to purchase or rent One Shot Inch and Down, where can they yeah. do that? Oh, uh, inchanddown.com. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. And, and we'll have that in the notes. Link in the notes. Yeah. Cool. That's the, that's the point of what we're doing today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. And so, yeah, we'll have that. Um, so if uh, if anybody is having trouble, um, you know, spelling that and and finding it and all that type of stuff, we've got it in the notes. And uh, so check those out. This week, uh, my shout out goes to Thomas Berg. Uh, he's from Norway. I talked about him in the opening. He was the one who took that photo. Uh, it's He is at Thomas Berg photo on Instagram, and it's T-H-O-M-A-S-B-E-R-G photo on Instagram. So uh, highly recommend it. He does some incredible work with triptychs using... Uh, old four by five uh, Polaroid film. Uh, it's just, ah, uh, man, I, um, uh, you know, I got caught up in that photo that I was talking about in the beginning. Then I went to his his stuff, and it is incredible. It makes me, you know, it's it's one of those bodies of work where you just want to go, okay, I I quit now, um, because somebody else has done so much more with it um, than I than than I have. So. Uh, Thomas Berg, uh, and it's Thomas Berg photo on Instagram. So, uh, Ethan, who do you have to shout out to? Yeah, I just wanted to say thanks to uh, Simon Forster and Perry and Johnny for having me on the Classic Lenses podcast. Uh, early this morning, I woke up at 4.30, and uh, we did a love letter to the Leica lenses that I uh, have loved and hated. <laughs> we talked about uh, resolving powers for hours on end. Um, that was really fun. Um, if you're into real lens and nerdery, go check that out. It should be out before this podcast. All right. Um, uh, Nick, who do you want to shout yeah, out to? So, yeah, so talking to these uh, Danger Boys got me, uh, reminded me of one of my very favorite uh, movies, which is Werner Herzog's Cave of Forgotten Dreams. And it's sort of the it's a film, a documentary film made about things that are hardly ever visited. And Herzog talked them into letting him spend a few hours filming these things. And it's a very powerful film. It's good on a lot of levels. But the main thing is that instead of seeing still photographs of these cave paintings, you see them in as the camera uh, moves past them, and the lighting is sort of flickery because it's handheld lighting. Because uh, in order to preserve these paintings they were allowed very limited access and very short time to work so you actually experience the paintings as they were experienced by some 30,000 year old cave person carrying a torch as they walk through these deep 
caves. And they are amazing seen that way. It's, it's nothing like seeing a still photograph. You, you actually understand, they come alive. They're beautiful paintings. And I, I can't recommend the, the film highly enough. All right. Uh, Simon, uh, hey. who do you want to uh, give a shout out to? Uh, so I just brought my son in, Isaac, and I think that is literally the only person in the world that I want to give a shout out to. Okay. Uh, and, hey, Isaac. And... Hi. <laughs> hey, Isaac. Hey. <laughs> He's hey, still Isaac. in his school uniform. Um, so, so yeah, that's it. That's the shout out. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dave, who do you have to shout out? Um, well, uh, Michael Sturgis at Mikey Sturgis, uh, his Holga and Voldenorth for okay. the for the idea for the triptych that I made this week. Um, so it was is Michael Sturgis and his initial Holga post that sort of um, turned and you know turned ended up turning into this triptych I made. So all right. Yeah. Uh, we also want to thank Robbie Cribs for uh, doing the music that we listen to every week and allowing us to use it. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, thanks Robbie. Robbie. Hey, thanks. guys are bringing light into the darkness which is what uh, ethan was talking about in the very beginning mm -hmm. this idea of trying to take pictures of things that people haven't seen before yeah you know and and that's 
And it's exactly the same as the exploratory tinkering that we've all been doing all our lives. It's this sort yeah. of wanting to poke our nose in where we, where you know, where no one, where Nick, we don't know what's I, going I on. I yeah. don't suppose that you played Warcraft two while I was in middle school, but uh, maybe I've Simon never played any video game, and I probably yeah. never will. <laughs> well, I haven't played it in twenty years, but I do remember. Like as you advanced, they, there was like a little map in the corner, and then Bagamore. the map starts out black, right? And as you go to right. these areas, it, right. it sort of opens that up. And opening it up for the first time is the most interesting in photography and uh, yeah. just anything in life. Well, that, mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. sort of why I like darkroom composites and all this stuff too. Is like I like old street photography when it wasn't like we had. Um, it wasn't so easy. It wasn't everyone with the camera who could take a thousand things and I have a great appreciation for that. But I hate current street photography. I just really, as a personal taste, I dislike it. I'm like, I've seen everything a billion times. Like, yeah. What, you're you know, not like, into uh, people crossing 34th Street? Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. And you're just like, it's it's just like if someone, I like Jackson Pollock, but if someone else does drip painting just like him, I'm like, what the crap are you doing? Like, it's sure. been done, you know? And, yeah. um, so for me, as far as photography, I mean, with Simon, we do this like going places where you can't get to and then take representative photos, which is fun. But in general, for my personal photography, it's that same idea you're talking about. I just tend to do the whole like, let's make, um, you know, let me make, let me make, make an something image. you haven't seen before. Exactly. Make something yeah. literally well, I haven't yeah. seen before. And it's the same my, kind yeah. of idea. Right. My whole career making steel sculpture has been making. I've never made the same thing twice, and I never will. It's yeah, that's what would cool. Be the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Exactly. No, that's interesting. It, I I tried to like I've tried selling prints, and I've done some runs of prints, like my famous dragon in a teacup. Um, but then I realized I just don't like making the same print even more than once. I want to get it right, and then never do it again. So. Basically, I don't yeah. make, you know. <laughs> it's how I feel about making cameras. Unfortunately, that's not how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the thing about street photography is that the practice of it is really fun. It's like hunting, yeah. essentially. Yeah, definitely. It's the same as yeah. hunting. It's, you know, legal hunting in an urban environment. And, uh, yeah. But, but the or not out, so legal, the out, depending on where you are. Yeah. That's well, true. depending on what country you're in, yeah. But the, yeah. But the output is what's monotonous. And, you yeah. know, jumping the puddle is the is like jumping the shark, you know, it's, it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's it. Like if everyone wasn't sharing it, like this is supposed to be something brilliant. I'm supposed to appreciate, you know, mm-hmm. for its raw brilliance. Like, yeah, no, I think it's a great practice and I do it. I just don't post those photos. Right. Right. Any more than like, I, you know, then like hunters should be like, I don't know. Put on heads on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Keep it to yourself, man. I don't want yeah. to see that. It's cool. Bloody yeah, exactly. stump. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. No, I mean, it. I think it is a good practice and everything. It's just like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. And and there is off, actually there's probably plenty of room to do new things in street photography too. I mean. Oh, absolutely. Like anything yeah. else, it's just. So uh, there's this other side of it, which is you know you have to have the Leica and the whole you know the whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah all that bullshit. Yeah. You know, uh, part of part of this whole thing that I I keep thinking about is the whole idea of okay, if we were if we were practicing photography in 1985, um, we would get a roll of 36 and print maybe three of them. 
Yeah. Uh, now we can get a roll of 36 and post 30 of them. Yeah. And the question to me is, and I see both sides of this question to me is, is it, were we not showing enough in 1985? Because, you know, if it takes, if three prints takes, um, six hours in the dark room, which is reasonable. Yeah. Um, then were we just not able to get to all of the good photographs or is it a case of the more you limit, the higher the quality of the output um, in the end? And I go back and forth on that. I, I just think, you know, um, you, you know, when you're talking about Dave, um, I still take the photos. I just don't post them. Yeah. That's, that's part of that, that same concept of, um, you know, I've, I will, uh, I'll be taking a photo and I'll think, well, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to post yeah, but, this, but I'm going to still so, take So Graham, photo. Graham, my experience is that I, I shoot digital and film side by side a lot of the time. My experience uh-huh. is that when I shoot a roll of 36, I get several good shots. And when I shoot uh, 400 digital, I get one good shot. And yeah, I yeah. think that it's just because if you aren't trying hard, you just don't do as well. And that, and this is what the whole one shot thing is really about to me. It's that <laughs> if you give yourself only one or two opportunities, then you're going to spend days preparing. You're going to think it through. You're going to make yeah. all the mistakes in advance. And then you're probably going to get a decent shot. You know? Yeah. So well, I mean, it's maybe true. in the end, you're putting in a similar amount of energy for the result. Um, it, and I don't think it's better or worse. But in my personal experience, when you limit yourself, when you value the individual frames more, that's good. That's healthy. I, I think it's yeah, more I, of an experience as well. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I was just, yeah. Go. Um, yeah. So I guess the way I feel about it is, you know, shooting film, you, you have to be in the kind of moment and like before the moment it's like, you have to prepare everything and you have to go through everything and you have to think, what if this, what if that? And, um so so yeah i think yeah. Sure. you can and then the, do that with and the camera makes that cash register sound whenever you press the shutter you know i think i think like to answer the original question though i think social media puts us great pressure of overproducing so we yeah. tend to put out mediocre stuff because mm-hmm. The social media thing is like, oh, I want to be big on Instagram. I need to post something every day with hashtags. You know, like um, yeah. it's a 365 mentality. I think 365 projects are good, but I'm saying like that doesn't mean we should post everything. People don't think about it. Yeah, right. And I think I think social media is really bad for artists because it puts a lot of pressure to overproduce. And just well, anything yeah. in life, you can't produce that much good of anything, right? Which like, if you can, yeah. like, that means it's not hard and it, like... Yeah, you're not you doing know. something worthy. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. It, yeah, so I think... Okay, I know, I, I'm with you totally. The other side of that one is how many times have you posted something that's got a tremendous response that when you posted, you thought it was one of those lesser photos? So yeah, my whole, yeah. my yeah. whole thing with that is that what you're what you're doing when you post that one is that you are giving somebody else the opportunity to see value in it that you did not see. Oh, and 
So, so I mean, if that's the that I mean, this is where I I I'm split on this, man. This is this is one of those things that I think of constantly, um, mm-hmm. and and you know, those are you know the the examples that you guys had. I think are are really good in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me though, I there's some I do photos specifically for that that like. Like the dragon in the teacup wasn't uh-huh. something deep behind it. It was something so I could sell prints. That's why. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And it got a great response. Done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I think you can still share. You don't have to share just the things you prize. I think there's a good in between. But also there's you can avoid the pressure of putting something every day, regardless of the quality. Right. Like. Yeah. I I, th- I think there's a happy medium there, like where you can. I think we should share process. I think we should share mistakes, right? I'm not one of these snobs where like, why do you post mm-hmm. things unless they're perfect? I'm I think that's dangerous, too. Yeah. But I think there's this pressure to post no matter what, and you're like, that's yeah, that's, that's not good. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. But so then what, you're so fo- what you're you're kind of forced in. Sorry, you're kind of that's forced right. into it with 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 you know platforms like Facebook because. Yeah, I'm not big into like you know social media, and I don't really understand bits and bobs. But you know, you're kind of forced to do it because you know Facebook says you haven't posted in a while, like, and it's been a day (laughs) since you posted. You're like, for fuck's sake. Yeah, I think there are those of us who just like I grew up. My dad wasn't, you know, he always had trouble like putting together, you know. like get a new grill and you just get like really angry at the instructions and so um <laughs> sort of fairly young age i just took over doing all that stuff and um it, it, they always say it skips a generation i think it's true because if like your parents are capable you tend to do less maybe i don't know um yes yeah yeah no i grew up in the 70s and we built our own house and i repeated yeah. that in, in gotcha. myself so i mean yeah but then everyone in my family was somebody who made on both sides was somebody who either was an engineer or was a, a an artist so it seems like it, it you know it just came from every direction and i tried to become a biologist and it just didn't stick i ended up <laughs> being a craftsperson so <laughs> i try to include my kids so it doesn't do that skip a generation so my daughter who's four now she's printed in the dark room you know like um and you know like i'm not like uh this is dad time like she like include my kids in whatever i do so if i'm working with wood like ever anything like they're just included yeah um which is which is nice but yeah i remember when i i wanted a tell i was in middle school and i wanted a telephone line in my room right and i asked my parents and we didn't have a ton of money growing up so i was like can i get a telephone line in my room my mom's like if you can do it without spending money fine and that was her response and i'm in middle school i'm like what okay there wasn't even a jack there wasn't a jack in the room right and i'm like so my grant her dad um he's one of these guys who through um the depression he never went to college but uh he was the director of plant operations at a university for a while like he was a master plumber electrician like just Mm -hmm. everything and he was a carpenter and very good at all this stuff and so I remember in middle school calling him up and I was like, hey, pop up, like, I want to put a phone line in your my room. Like, what do I do? And I had never called him before. Just, direct, you know, obviously I talked to my grandparents, but I never like called my grandfather, like to chat, mm-hmm. you know, like separately. It's, you know, 
And he, he was like, um, he's like, do how you learn anything. I was like, what? He's like, tear apart someone else's phone line and figure out how it works. And he, <laughs> that's what you know, I still I... remember. <laughs> and then he goes, call me when you're done. Right. And then he hangs up. And I was like, that was like, I'm not kidding. And so, so, so I tore out in my sister's room, there was a Jack, but she didn't have a phone line. She, I have two younger sisters. So she's even younger. So she definitely didn't get a phone. And like, fortunately it was behind her bed. So like I tore out the thing and like looked at the wiring and figured out the height. And I was like, well, I hope I have the wires in my room. And I just like sort of cut open the wall in the same size hole of the Jack I just pulled out of her wall and just pushed her bed in front of it. So you couldn't see that there's a hole in her wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, you know, cause I'm in middle school. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> and, um, Repaired. And, and, yeah. And then wired it, like cut a hole in the wall, found the wires, wired it up, you know, made note of which wires. Cause you know, with a phone line, there's a ton of wires and you have to know which ones. And um, someone called while I was doing it. And of course uh, the ringer line is charged. Cause it's like a, <laughs> And so you get shocked and you like fall backwards. You're like, holy hell. And uh, so then I, I finish it up and I call my grandfather, like I said, after getting like massively shocked. And the, I, I shit you not. He goes, did someone call while you were doing it? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait, was it you? And he just cracked up and hung up. <laughs> and that was, he like just started laughing and hung up on me. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> That's you know, when I was in middle school, one, I knocked a hole in my wall behind uh, like a picture frame just yeah. to see what was inside the wall. And it was like years before my mom found out that I had knocked like a one foot square hole in yeah. into the drywall. <laughs> it was hiding in there. And then two, <clears throat> when I was in middle school, we had America Online, but only 